The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. It's Don't Bet On It. I'm RJ Bell, joined by the hot take, hot shot, Steve Cofield. What's Don't Bet On It? It is the Vegas verdict on the biggest sports stories of the week. We think cold cash over hot takes. And as we said, Cofield, hot take, hot shot. I'm expecting a really good shot of you today. And as usual, I'll represent the voice of Vegas. You hot takes. This is one of my favorite weeks as we approach the NFL draft, as the bubble gets burst on all the quarterback hype. Well, we'll be talking about, and it's actually the hottest take of the week involves the number one quarterback battle and also Lamar Jackson. And it's from the herd though. It's not Colin. It's not Colin. It's Joel Klatt on the herd. We've got some Vegas nights talk, potentially the biggest loss for the bookmakers in the history of hockey. And you do 15 hours a week at local Vegas talk. So you've got the on the ground insight, Mr. Cofield. We're also going to talk about Baker Mayfield and the chargers. Golick screaming at Mayfield screaming. We got some Jason Whitlock Kaepernick hot take. As you can imagine, we have the Cavs and a crossfire crossfire between the PTI guys and Mr. Colin Cowherd. But first, we're starting with Tom Brady and a little bit of take from Bill Simmons and what's going on with Belichick. Showtime! But first, an update, but there's really not much of an update. Uh, David Malinsky, a guy that worked for us for three years and a elite content guy. I mean, one of the best I've ever been around. Um, missing. I think most listeners here probably are following the story, but if you're not, you can check my Twitter feed. I've tweeted out some articles about it. He was going hiking and just disappeared. And it's been since Saturday. We're taping on Thursday. Obviously it doesn't look good, but we don't want to jump to any conclusions when they're still looking. So we'll keep you guys updated as things happen. Okay. Tom Brady, a lot of talk. So before we get to Simmons sound, Cofield on this. What's been your take? Because I've heard a lot of different things. Colin has been surprising me with his talk about, oh, finally people are sick of Belichick and he's intractable. Like Colin loves that Bobby Knight analogy. Right? Bobby Knight used to be great, but time passed, he wouldn't change and see what happened. And the idea that somehow Belichick has become too stern in the last six months. So in general, what's your take on the storyline around Belichick Brady? He might not be coming back this year, et cetera. One, I think Colin's too strong on the anti-Belichick take. It's not like Bobby Knight. So let's throw that out. Two, because you don't think he's that Belichick is that intractable. No, I think this is a rare case of a guy being around forever and getting some different influences around him and some different people in his ear like Al Guerrero. The trainer, Dr. Guerrero, not really a doctor, um, sort of upsetting the apple cart, you know, and then Brady's long in the tooth. Now he doesn't want to deal with this crap anymore. Uh, if it's going to take down the organization, I don't buy that. Um, if I want to go light on this, Brady appears to be pulling ready for this one. A Zabisco. Like on Saturday. 
Oh, well, we're going to talk a little Bruno by the end of the show. Oh, I did on the, on the local show. I did about five minutes and I was playing old highlights. And my co-host and my producer are looking at me like, what are you talking about? And I pointed to the fact that like Larry Zabisco and what he pulled on. So San that Martino, was that was his last. That was San Martino's last great um, uh, rivalry. It's the greatest feud in my mind in wrestling history because it was one of the first super intense ones that blew up on TV. And I've said it. It actually made me cynical as a human being watching Zabisco burn Bruno San Martino. I don't trust anyone now. You know that. You know the way I operate, right? I don't like to lean on people to do work for me. That's because Bruno got burned, Zabisco. So now Brady is going to pull a Zabisco. Brady's pulling a Zabisco on Belichick. I'm just thinking the phrase, you know the way I operate. It's like, it's like yes, I do. Yes, I do. Sadly. But, but who, when you were saying Brady's getting older and he doesn't want to put up with this crap, what kind of crap are you talking about? I think being the whipping boy at times in front of the team, it's important when you're a taskmaster, I think it's important to have some of your best talent to show the rest of the group as you beat them up verbally. Yes. To show the rest of the group, listen, he's bought in. You're not Brady. You need to buy in. And I think Brady has finally reached the point. And I think Guerrero has affected things. And maybe the wife, too. That happens. I don't want to blame everything on Giselle, but uh, maybe he's just had enough of being beaten up by Belichick, and he could also be like Rodgers and kind of looking at the roster and going, you know what, I would like a little input now that you've let everyone go. Could ask me about Women it. Women weaken legs. Mm, Giselle. Cofield says. Pain in the ass. Giselle, she's always a pain in the ass. She's been asking him to retire that's for Steve like three Co- years. That's Steve Cofield, by the way. Not all women, not my woman. Not your woman. As far as I know, not your woman. You work a lot, so if, if believe me, if, oh, uh, she, she, if, if your lady was a pain in the ass, oh, you'd be hearing about it all the time. She's like, what are you doing, watching talent? Yeah. I, I Why swear, are you here? I swear to God, there was a time like three months ago that... You know, it was like two in the afternoon. And again, I work strange hours. So I'll take an hour in the afternoon. And she's like, you know, what are you doing? It's like, are you serious? I, I got pretty mad. I can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> Can I take an hour? <laughs> All right. So what I just heard you say, Cofield, is Brady is sick of all the things that's led to the Patriots winning. Right. So. But maybe he's not processing it like that. Maybe. He, well, obviously and, 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 he's not. And at 40 plus, he should be able to. But, you know, people get tired in relationships. Oh, it's true. Well, listen, um, who was it? Was it Pat Riley that said this? And I know Larry Bird said it later. It wasn't not the disease of me thing, but the idea that you can only hear the same stories, you know, the same motivational approaches from the same coach for so long. We're hearing it now about Pete Carroll, that the stories are getting cheesy and the college rah-rah stuff burns you out after four or five years. And I told you, and this is why you need to watch and you're going to keep pushing back on me. But the Jim Harbaugh. All or nothing on Amazon. When you watch Harbaugh, you're like, this is why it only works for three or four years in the NFL. The message gets old. And even more so, I think, with the raw, raw intensity, you know, college slash over the top intensity. I I think an NFL coach can go more than three or four years. But can you go, you know, over 15 with the same player, especially when that player is married to a supermodel? That player is jetting around the world. That player is one of the most famous people in the world. You, you know I love Mr. Cowherd. All the respect to Cowherd. But I think stretching this uh, Belichick to night thing is a little crazy because I think the guy who's aware of the message fades after four or five years more than anyone is Belichick. That's If you think about it, why does Belichick change over the team so often? 
Because I think he sees guys on the roster, hey, I'm going to pay this guy big money, and maybe he's not getting my message anymore. So it's a combo of we need a fresh face in here who's going to get what I'm doing, and I don't want to pay the money. Yeah, and I think with the new agreement, which has been a couple years now, so more than a couple, so not so new, I think it's I think it's more I think it's more about the money, right? But I also think that he usually Belichick has had a handful of his his culture guys, his team guys, and then otherwise a lot of turnover, especially with the big names. When a Randy Moss came in, it's not a surprise early on he's willing to deal with Moss is the you know draconian or the the, the let's say high um intensity environment and as time passes and you he has more success less inclined all right bill simmons uh really one of the most insightful media guys when it comes to the patriots had significant thoughts on the current situation brady and gronk they seem to be aligned alex guerrero is super important to both of them belichick doesn't want guerrero around anymore so they're they're battling about that. Brady and Belichick have worked together now for two decades, and it's it's never been the easiest marriage. I don't think. I think a ton of professional respect. Obviously, they love they've loved all the winning and everything, and they've gotten along great. There really hasn't been any rifts, but I do think they're different people. And Belichick is cutthroat, and he's been cutthroat for twenty years. When he's doing this, how does it affect the people in the locker room? Why are they? so loyal to the Patriot way? Why do they believe in this program so much when they know as soon as they don't become as useful to Belichick, he's going to gut them. He's going to shank them. That part I never totally understood. And this is the first time in two decades where it seems like there's resentment for the Patriot way a little bit for we do all this for you. And yet the first chance you have to cut us loose, you will that the players feel that way. Amendola, the stuff that he said to Mike Reese, where just talking about how the players were like legitimately bummed out about the Malcolm Butler thing and how that was handled in the Super Bowl, and that they felt like that. Basically the implication was we don't know what happened. He owed us an explanation and that probably cost us the Super Bowl and we haven't heard anything and we still don't know what happened. Okay. So let's, let's start with the Butler thing because to me, I do think the Butler thing, and I think anyone listening to a sports podcast knows, most likely, benched without really notice before the Super Bowl is the understanding, the reporting. And no, uh, it wasn't explained, right, before or after. Now, to me, this is Belichick saying, do your job. My job is to decide who's playing. Your job is to play. Right. And he's always done that. Now, how much of this is Brady, who maybe five years ago would have been behind it? Right. You know how it goes. There's a workplace kerfuffle and there's a couple of kind of clubhouse leaders, you know, in, in, in any workplace. And someone who's a clubhouse lawyer maybe calls up one of the leaders and says, what do you think of the boss there? And the, the leader says, hey, that's why he's the boss. And then what happens? That troublemaker gets muted. You know, is this a situation where someone throws a flyer at Brady about, hey, maybe we should be pissed about this? And Brady was not so supportive of Belichick, even acquiescing perhaps, which would allow it to go further. 
Right? Is it some of that? Yes. Is it? Yes. And he made, and he, I think he made statements publicly that he was sad that Butler was gone. And that's well, pretty which, easy to read. Which, again, you can say that and not disagree that he should have been benched. I don't remember them having an offseason where guys went bye-bye. No, and they, I agree. All, they all had an outpouring. Not all. But many had an outpouring on social media where they were like, hey, going to miss you, buddy. No, I agree. Good luck. Have fun. And obviously, Finally. obviously Brady's feeling his mor- or mortality as a player much more than he did five years ago. As much as he's talking about 45, I think, you know, being his last year, you know, 42, 43, 40. I mean, do we really think he's playing game 17 four years from now? I mean, if anyone has shown he might be able to, it's him. But boy, now how much of this is the millennial thing? That is each. I mean, Belichick was very authoritarian for 2000 for 2005 for 2015 but I think the case could be made and I'm very careful about you know judging millennials because it, we always talk about this in the bible they literally not that I'm an authority on the bible but I did go to a lot of CCD classes as a kid is <laughs> I was forced <laughs> you listened I don't a think little I did. bit a little bit is <laughs> they were talking about all these kids these days in the Bible, right? So there's always mm-hmm. going to be that mentality. But I think in general, this sense of agency, the sense of empowerment with the younger generation goes against Belichick's main ethos. This is a much more anti-establishment world. People are thinking about their lot in life. And I, that, that point by Simmons about players buying in all these years when they must have known how the end was going to come. Now, I've got a very strong... I think Simmons is... Uh, you think he's off on that? Thing? No, I think he's right. I, I think he's right, but he says, I don't understand why they bought in, and I, and I think I do, is what is the objective of the Patriots' way to win, all right? I'm going to take Adrian and two, remember? Well, yep. he goes, can I do anything for you again and win, all right? That's it. Now... How hypocritical would a player be to say, okay, I'm willing to say no days off. I'm willing to say, cut this guy, trade this guy early. Bledsoe, who cares, right? Our objective is to win. But now when I'm a little bit slow, a little bit older, I should be the exception. So in a way, the 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 ones that didn't really believe it, but they kind of believed it when the mob around them, you know, in this case, the other players were saying it, they went along. But then when it was them to pay the price, they said, oh, no. But, you know, you look at, there's a lot of guys. Um, Is it Harrison, the uh, D-back that's on the NBC broadcast? Rodney is, you know, he is as bought in today as he was back then. And... Not that the Steelers' way is as, as I think, strong as the Patriots' way with with their culture, but you look at someone like Heinz Ward, who I consider one of the great Steelers. He had one more year left in him. He would have been better than 40% of the receivers in the NFL, would, have be my, would be my guess. Pittsburgh didn't want him, and he said, I will not, I'm not going to, I got enough money, I'm not going to go play anywhere else, you know, and I'm a Steeler. Now think about it. He's getting cut. He could have said, "Why not give me that last year?" Because I, I've, no, he understood our job is to, you know, this this franchise's job is to win, and the coach's job is to assess the winning. I might uh, the best way to win. I might disagree 
you know, if I'm Heinz Ward that I could play, but I got to respect they're doing the same thing now they did then. So the idea of Simmons saying, well, being that cutthroat or being so focused on winning was okay when you're part of it, but when you're not part of it, you're supposed to not believe in it anymore. It seems like the people that genuinely believed in that believed in it even when they were the victim of it. Still goes against human nature. Which is why only a handful of players, uh, you know, I don't know how many people truly believe in the Patriot way. There's probably less than 50 on the planet, but those are 50 of the most successful football players ever. Well, if you believe this, then this, I already think he's the best personnel person in the history of the NFL. This raises another. Belichick is the best personnel person in the history of the NFL, GM, even though he doesn't have the title. If those are the qualifications that he has to meet, that he also has to find these superhuman folks who buy in from a loyalty standpoint, and it's one-way loyalty, then he's unbelievable. It's not one-way loyalty. It's loyalty to winning, right? I can promise you this, and, and tell me if you agree. If Bill Belichick honestly felt like, and you can debate, is he going to be self-aware enough? Well, if anyone in football would be, I think it'd be him. But if Belichick truly believed that he him coaching another year at whatever point didn't give the Patriots the best chance to win. Do you think he retire or would he just keep coaching? Don't know. Be interesting to follow though. He doesn't follow his own edict. I would, I would think he would. And and I would think he'd retire. Well, then he's incredibly rare because how many coaches walk away and they're like, I just can't do it anymore. I know. You know, you're right. At the right. right time. But how many coaches are Belichick? None, none. All right. There's a great story. This is one of my favorites. I'm kind of a, revolutionary war buff and not, I'm not a super authority, but I've read five or six, seven books on it. And George Washington, right. One for, you know, as a general, and this was before, uh, this was before he became president. And, you know, you actually look at when he became president the first time, let me see, it would have been 80, 1788, right. 12 years. Thomas Jefferson was 1800. Yeah. And, but they won the Revolutionary War like in 83, right? If I'm remembering correctly. Um, or even a little before that. So there was the time, you know, five years where there wasn't a president, right? They had the Continental Congress and whatever else was going on. And he was home for most of that in Virginia. So right after the war, Yorktown, right? The surrender. There was a painter over in England, an American painter, painting King George. And he goes, oh, you're George Washington, they go, what's he going to do now? And he says, he's going to go home and become a farmer. That was what he was doing. And the king said, King George says, if he does that, he's the greatest man in the world. Meaning if you could rule, because he could, you know, George Washington could have became the king, right? Maybe it wouldn't have been a name, but if, if he wanted to be the president for till he died, he was that much of a hero, but he didn't even want to be president. He went home for five years. Then they said, you got to come. You know, got to come back. And when John, after two terms, and remember, Washington, there was no constitutional amendment about two terms until after FDR. So Washington chose to stop after two. And there's the famous line. It's actually in the John Adams um, HBO miniseries, which is a great miniseries. Uh, Giamonte plays Adams, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, once Adams gets sworn in as president, George Washington leans in and he says, he goes, you're safely in and I'm safely out. We'll see which of us is happier. Like Washington wanted out that whole time. He wanted to go home and farm. So I think Belichick would be the, to extend the 
story, the greatest coach, I think he's going to decide when he quits. He won't get run out the door, is my guess. Which seems counterintuitive to what most people believe about Belichick, that he's going to coach until he's dead. Like, he is just a lifer. Interesting follow coming up. See what he does. And I wouldn't be surprised if he said, hey, I'm going to go and and, and just be a personnel guy. Or maybe, you know, Bill Parcell, right? The amount of energy it takes to be a head coach and a personnel guy, right? Right. Is is different than just being a personnel guy, like the president of the team that kind of sits there on top and has a big say. I wouldn't be surprised if he kept doing that. But you would lean towards Belichick goes maybe just a personnel and never comes back to coach because Parcells had the issue getting pulled back in. Well, I think that from what I can see, coaching is much harder than personnel. Like the energy that's spent, right? You don't see many. You know, you see 75-year-old personnel guys. You don't see 75-year-old coaches, usually. All right, last thing on this, because it actually dovetails into what we talked about last week or the week before on one of the shows. I don't remember which. I believe what New England does in this draft is a huge cue to what kind of season they're going to have. Because there's two schools of thought, and Simmons talked about this, but he kind of went long and it was hard to edit, so I'll kind of recap what he said. He said he thinks this talk about from Schefter saying, I might not come play this year, you know, which I don't know if he said that, but that's the hint that's out there. This is Tom Brady. Brady is the idea that he wants leverage over who they draft. Not saying a specific player, but rather don't pick a quarterback in the first round. Because the whole Jimmy G thing was, are we going to spend a bunch of cap money to keep a succession plan in place? Well, hey, I'm supposed to be here four more years. Are we going to pay him a whole other contract and hurt the whole rest of the team? Really, it makes sense. You you couldn't have had both. You can't have Brady believing he's playing four more years and Jimmy G under a non-rookie contract, right? Correct. So they chose Jimmy G to go. To Fezzik's great consternation. Because <laughs> he loves Jimmy G. Yeah, he's closer to Vegas, though. <laughs> he can, <laughs> it's a short, it's he a, can visit. It's a short flight eight times a year. <laughs> that's pretty good, Kevin. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right. <laughs> so, so, if they said we don't want to spend those resources, in that case, salary cap money on a new quarterback. Do you want to spend your only or, or a key first round pick? All right. So maybe this is Brady's way. And this is Brady's way of saying, I won't tell you I'm coming back till I see you're committed to us winning next year, more than a succession plan. Now, if they pick a quarterback in the first round, I'm looking to fade. I'm looking to play under new England immediately without delay. Because one, I think it increases the chance of Brady not playing. Now, maybe it only goes from 5% to 15%, but still, that's a real chance. So that's a story then, because I saw so many people yesterday reacting to the Schefter note that Brady hadn't officially committed, that it is a complete non-issue. You think there is a 5 or 10% chance he could be so pissed about the eye being on the future instead of this current season that he could say, you know what, I'm out. I think it's healthy we're in a time that we're questioning news sources because it's not like the old days where there was, you know, the New York times. And again, liberal Ben or not, they were, they were really competing against themselves, right? Washington post. 
there wasn't as much national papers like they are now. And, you know, the New York Post wasn't in competition with the New York Times. It was two very different papers. I think today, from the BuzzFeeds to the, you know, obviously we're talking either politics, you know, wide news or sports, there's a ton of competition, right? And you're, Steve, you follow the sports media as well as anyone, I think, is the, and and you've been here for multiple generations, as in 20 plus years now, rapidly approaching 50, as we often say, is the number of people willing to go with a flyer publicly today versus 15 years ago in sports media? How would you characterize it? <laughs> I don't even know how much it's increased. Tenfold, 50-fold, 100-fold. It's ridiculous. Now, Schefter, though, I would say amongst the NFL guy, or let's say amongst the, you know, the like Woj and the super reporters, I think he's in the top quartile of reliable. On uh, the NFL, Schefter and Glazer almost never miss. So doesn't that answer our question? How can you say there's nothing to it when it's a source that rarely misses? So you're saying there's a chance. I think there's a chance. I think it's a small chance. But either way, if, even if Brady gets a little bit frustrated that they pick a Lamar Jackson or whatever in the first round, then how much does that affect the team? Right? So, and I also think it tells you a lot about Belichick. If Belichick doesn't pick a quarterback this year high, or even first round, does that mean he's just going to retire when Brady does? Because he's certainly not, if he had Jimmy, he was, from everything I hear, and most of it's public, and I have a little bit of info otherwise, Belichick was obsessed, I hate that word, Belichick really cared about the idea that he could have, he could win after Brady. Because the debate is, Belichick in Cleveland, look at the numbers, got fired. You know, it was the old thing about Bill Parcells. You 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 remember, I'm sure, Steve, is Parcells never won a Super Bowl without Belichick. Remember when Belichick started winning and it was a debate between who was better? Yep. Well, Belichick hasn't won a Super Bowl without Brady. If he could have won a Super Bowl without Brady and Jimmy G, you would think, would have given him a chance. How much great, wherever Belichick gets to be on Mount Everest... Of or or on uh, Mount Rushmore coaches, he, I guess he is Mount Everest. Right? He's by, he's the highest. Is K two or whatever? Is I think he would have thirty percent more renowned, more awe if he won even one more Super Bowl post Brady. I agree. And the odds of that have have plummeted because what's the odds? Even if they do draft a quarterback in the late first round, of him being elite, 50, a long shot. It's a long shot. Yeah, 40%. Uh, my last point on this, not to move us along, but what's your gut feeling on if he drafts a quarterback at 23 or 31 in the first round? I would bet heavy money on the no. I don't know if Depending he will. Depending on the odds. I, mean, I, I don't a have a great off. feel if he will or he won't, but I know that if he does or doesn't, or the Pats do or don't, it's going to tell us a lot about this season. I think he gets help for this year. I think he'll make Brady happy. He wants to win. I don't think he's got an eye. I think if he takes a quarterback, it'll be second or third round. Going to be fun to watch. Next topic, the Cleveland Cavs. We're taping on Thursday here at the pregame.com offices in Las Vegas. 1-1. And this is one of our crossfires where we have the PTI guys on one side and Colin on the other. So let's first get the take on where the Cavs are right now, specifically game two and the meaning of winning 
but not winning impressively and requiring, quite frankly, LeBron to have a monster game. Cleveland won the game. It's 1-1. Cleveland won the game. In in the end, nobody really cares how many they won by if they win the series. You you don't remember because you're too young, but you probably have read about the 1960 World Series with the Pirates and the Yankees, where the Pirates would would win each game by one, and the Yankees would win by ten. But then in Game 7, Bill Mazeroski hits it out. They win by one. They win the World Series. So to me, Cleveland did exactly what it had to do. And the veterans on that team, the LeBron Jameses, the Kevin Love, J.R. Smith, Kyle Corbett, they, they won, Mike. They won. Yeah, but Tony, they may Tony. not look great, but they won. Okay. You're shaking your head. Thoughts? I'm not happy with the Kornheiser take. <laughs> now you might be happy with the Colin take. Especially when we look at it from the Vegas standpoint. We'll get to that with the zigzag. Mm. All right. Let's get Colin, and then we'll talk about, and actually, I'm going to agree with you. I think Colin's take is spot on. Indiana is going to win this series. Just think about what happened last night. LeBron went superhuman. 46 points. The best first quarter of his career. Let me say it again. Of his career. The Pacers couldn't hit threes. In the playoffs, if you shoot poorly from three, you get crushed. Especially when you faced a team like Cleveland last night that was good from threes. And last night, LeBron goes superhuman, scores 46 at home, desperate team against the Pacers who were sloppy with 17 turnovers, who couldn't shoot threes. And it was a three-point game. The Pacers are winning this series. Okay, now I wouldn't bet that at even money. But what I agree with is what we've seen in the two games is very disturbing for the Cavs. By the way, you can bet Pacers about plus 240 to win the series entering game three. I'll be making a major bet on that. I do like that. So you agree, Cofield, what you've seen from the Cavs is troubling. Yes. You have to look at that game and your confidence has to fade a little bit. When you go up 18 in the first quarter, and as Colin said, 29 points at the half for LeBron, 46 for the game. And you barely eke it out. And by the way, Oladipo got in foul trouble, their best player in the first half, and you barely got by them. And when you look back, losing three or four to the Pacers during the regular season, was it a fluke? Doesn't look like it. Well, on Straight Out of Vegas, our Fox National show, Friday nights, 11 o'clock Pacific, Saturday nights, 10 o'clock Pacific. That's 330 stations nationwide. Series 83 also is... I If there was any team in the playoffs that I would f- have auto-faded, if you said, RJ, you've got to auto-fade one team, right? And I'll give you a bonus of a 1000 bucks if you do whatever. Like some way where I'm motivated to auto-fade one team, it would have been the Cavs for sure, all right? Who would you auto-fade? From a value standpoint? That's the only way to think about it. We're in Vegas, baby. Okay, see. Hmm, okay. Now it's easy to say because I know I know that they just lost game two. So it's yeah, a but, they series, covered, but they covered but, the first game. But we were saying in, uh, before the series that we were a little worried about Westbrook and his mentality going into the playoffs. Which he impressed me in game one, but like you said, game two. Okay. But then if I would have said, let me negotiate one pass, one game I don't have to auto-fade the Cavs. 
it would have been game one of series one because I felt like LeBron had, this is the first time he's been below a three seed in over 10 years. And we have history saying since they started seeding in the NBA, only one team has been worse than a three that won the title, the 95 Rockets. So history saying, man, you're out of that title winning range. I thought LeBron would have made a statement and said, looky here. I am LeBron. Those rules don't apply. Four seed, seven seed, doesn't matter. Look out. At home? And they got beat by 20? Then I would say of all the other games they're going to play in the playoffs, this game two would have been one of the most motivated. Because you go down 0-2, you're in big trouble. right? Cavs wouldn't have been in, you know, they still would have been, I think, around even at that point, which is wild to think. But they certainly, I think they would have been a dog. I'm I'm not great at each game knowing exactly. But they, they were minus 240 for the series going into game two. They were still a minus 240 favorite, the Cavaliers, yeah. going into game two. And to my point earlier about the zigzag, this is a great zigzag spot. You lose by 18, you play. LeBron doesn't play great. The Cavs, of course, are going to come out and blow the doors off of the Pacers. And, the they, fact- and they had a quarter in them. That was it, though. And I would say, the so the zigzag concept, and we talk about it on all the shows, is whatever team has the most potential consequence to lose the game we're looking at, usually is going to be more motivated. And usually that consequence is driven by how you did the last game. As in, if you're up 1-0, what's the consequence of losing game two? It's not so bad. But if you're down 0-1, it's very bad. Especially if you're down 0-2 eventually at home. That's really bad, right? So I think we've had two games where the motivation should have been massive for the Cavs. They lost one by 20 and barely won one. They're minus 15 in two games as, as about a 600 favorite for the series. So it's one thing if a team splits one and one and the circumstances were against them. It's another where the circumstances favor the Cavs greatly and they're one one to me, whatever your thoughts were entering the series, you've got to be more skeptical of the Cavs at this point. And I agree with you. I wouldn't bet a boatload of money that the Pacers are going to win the series, but I'm really getting worried long-term because if the Cavs are going to have to grind it out in every freaking series. And with LeBron shouldering that load at his age. I mean, if they make it to the finals, what do they have left? And now I'm really getting worried. And I was worried before this about them getting through the conference finals. If they can get there all the wear and tear in the first two rounds. I'll tell you this conspiracy theory alert. That doesn't sound like a conspiracy theory. <laughs> I'm going to have to get the X-Files music or something. <laughs> LeBron went out of Cleveland. I think most people agree with that. They're not saying it's sure he'll leave. But what you're seeing in this roster, and we were skeptical of that big trade, right? It was kind of a Hail Mary. But they did keep that or that uh, Nets pick, right? that Brooklyn pick. So they could have used that asset to help them this year. They didn't. Yep. That was a hedge by the Cavs organization against LeBron leaving, meaning, hey, if you're going to be gone, we better have some draft choices. So could this be LeBron looks out and says, we can't win this thing, and meaning the title. And would it be better for me to leave if I really want to get out of here now? I'm not saying he's going to try to lose, but could that like, hey, I'm willing to, you know, crawl across cut glass to win could LeBron, Kobe did it. What was it against the Suns? They were in a series. He felt like 
you know, uh, he, the organization and him were out of sync, and he played in a way we can debate how he played that huh. didn't seem like he was maxing the chance of them winning. I'm going to prove the point that the rest of this roster sucks. And did so it, I'm not going to go out and shoot 35 times. And and LeBron did that in the first game. He didn't take that many shots. He's he's driving, pitching to the corner, and bricks all over the place. Besides the the big three on that team, the other guys went two for eighteen from three. And didn't LeBron do the same thing against the Celtics when there was the rumors about his mom or whatever? It's not beyond him to to say, "Hey, we're not going to win this thing anyway. I'm going to give a message." Uh, I'm not saying for sure, but boy, the idea he's going to fight and claw no matter what to beat the Pacers. I have a feeling, you know, here's the the ironic thing. I'm not sure it's ironic exactly. Is I got a feeling if he beats the Pacers, they probably do make the finals. But I got a feeling, not because the Pacers are that good, but it will be a sign that LeBron is going to be willing to fight. To, you know, there's no reason to fight and lose in the conference final. You're either going to not fight as hard as you can or you're going to fight as hard as you can. So, eh. I'm not sure, but at plus 240, I think there is a small chance LeBron isn't as motivated as he might. we might think he would be. What do you think about that? Which goes back to your point about who's the greatest player in the history of the game? Michael. Would Michael ever consider sending messages and lining up his new destination? He would. Overwinning? He would, but that that... He'd be more like Westbrook, right? Which is if he felt like his other players couldn't play, he'd just take every <laughs> shot no matter what. Yep. Right. <laughs> Which is what we talked about last week. It's so paradoxical that Westbrook is a lot like MJ, just not that good. Right. He's great, but he's not that great. Next topic. And we're moving to three straight about the NFL draft and NFL quarterbacks, all interrelated. We've got Baker Mayfield. And the Chargers, and apparently he went into an interview not knowing the playbook. So, Cofield, what's your take on Mayfield in general in this specific situation? And then we got Mike Golick screaming. Yeah, I'm not a gigantic Mayfield backer. I think he's small for the position. I think he's already shown he's a knucklehead off the field. He's shown uh, he's look, a knucklehead. There's a lot of debate about that. So, knucklehead off the field. I've seen I've I've seen some other positive reports that you know the guys uh, into charitable causes and. Maybe the uh, the tackle by by the police was a, was a one off, and he just got caught on camera in a bad spot. But he's shown to be uh, less than disciplined on the field, grabbing his junk, you know, goading other teams. I don't think maturity wise, he's ready for the NFL, and I I think he's too small. And as we've seen with this Charger case, that that playbook thing and the whiteboard thing, the chalkboard thing, is gigantic. Are you Wh- taking why? this job interview seriously or not? Yeah. So I'm not, I don't follow the non-betting stuff as closely as you. Off the field, with stuff proven, not whispers, there's the one incident with Mayfield, or is there more than that? That's the one incident. And how would you, 20 seconds, characterize that incident? Uh, is cornered by the police, decides to make a run for it, and gets tackled against a brick wall. Which I'm not saying that couldn't happen to me. But I'm also not up to run, you know, a multi-million dollar <laughs> you, organization. You, you now, or you when you were 21? Oh, me, me now. Ah. Oh, the, the running part? No, it would be. It would be. I would have been tackled 40 feet behind where he was tackled. <laughs> I mean, he's a college kid, That's so I don't want to. I don't want to kill him for that. No, I would still do it. Let me ask you a serious question. Yeah. Between the age of 10 and 30, if there was a police officer that followed you, you didn't know he was following you every second of every day, and he kept a book 
of your infractions. How many times would you have been arrested in those 20 years? Are we just talking driving? No. Meaning if somehow, some way they put a little computer chip in your brain so they saw everything you saw and they knew exactly what you did for 20 years, uh, from 10 to 30. There wouldn't have been anything beyond driving. Well, you didn't dr- under- drink underage? That's a good point. <laughs> no, you know what? Actually, I really didn't. You never had a beer till you were 21. No, no. I had beers. Well, that's drinking underage. Not many, though. <laughs> Not many, though. Most of my mine would be driving infractions. By the way, let me let me correct something. Um, what Mayfield did, I would not do. Like, I, I've gotten into dust-ups, but that would be with civilians. I would, I'm pretty confident that I would not be running drunk from the police. But everyone I runs might get mouth, for, I, I mean, might get mouthy and put on a if curb If you think you might get away, you run. I, I wouldn't run. As a 21-year-old? No. Wait a minute. It would actually be when I was older. It was. I actually got a little more belligerent when I was in t- my mid-20s and 30s. As life disappointed you and you started getting sour on life? Hard to, hard to explain. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm not sour on life now. <laughs> so you drank less than like 10 times before the age of 21. No, I, I before 21, no, I drank. But uh, before 18, well, that's not maybe good. a couple of times. What was the drinking age that's in New Jersey? <laughs> I'm not that old. Yeah, I was going to say, now, they, did cha- you have they, any, cha- they changed it in New York and New Jersey. Was there any of these 19-year-old Steve Cofield and the 17-year-old girl? Ah, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, but think if the, if we, I think the count might have been a little if, high. If we roll in felony speeding, uh huh, uh-huh. <laughs> over a hundred, uh, probably. I've been pulled over twenty plus times. Really? Oh yeah. I'm at probably a twenty five now. You're a hot shot. Here's Golik responding to Mayfield. I'd like to hear Golik respond to Cofield. <laughs> Baker, what the hell do you have on your plate? That's brutal. What, what do you have on your plate other than getting ready for the freaking NFL draft? All you're doing is auditioning and and doing interviews for your job. Now, listen, you know, when when Gola can be, I you know, I've always been friends with the, you know, formerly Mike and Mike guys. And I actually years and years listened um, just maybe two years ago. Not as much, but uh, he he's old school in a way. That's his role. And I think that's an old school answer. And, and one I mostly agree with. But what I'll say, you know, I wouldn't have so much indignation. I would say as a decision maker, I'm not as worried about a guy's size. You know, we're back to the Malcolm Gladwell outliers where as long as you meet the minimum, I think Mayfield's met the minimum size-wise. Now, he's it'd be better if he was 6'3", right? Um, I think he meets the minimum with his arm. I think he meets the minimum with almost everything with the question mark on maturity. Mm-hmm. But boy... If there's one factor that I care the most about in a quarterback, it's work ethic. And this seems like something that is a sign of his work ethic being a problem. And to me, that's the biggest red flag you could have. Yeah, gigantic doesn't get it factor because the the phrase that Golik harped on was, I have a lot on my plate. You can't say that. What's, what is on your plate, bro? You're interviewing for one of you know 96 or so positions and you want to be one of the top 32 what else is on your plate? And you went to interview with a team with the 17th pick that may need a quarterback of the future, may move up. How do you half-ass that? And then how do you come out afterwards and you're like, oh, well, what can you do? Like, there were more important teams I was prepped for. You don't do that. And and we heard initially out of the combine, what did Lombardi say? Hey, there are some people who talk to this kid and they're like, well, a lot of arrogance here. Real attitude here. Yeah, and, and I think we tend to... 
conflate some of these qualities as in ego and, and self-assuredness. And in this case, the irony is sometimes the most egotistical people are the hardest workers because they set this like super high standard for themselves and they're not going to let themselves fail no matter what. In this case, self-satisfied is the last thing you want in a quarterback. Even, I mean, look, uh, the Ryan Leafs of the world or the, the Jamarcus Russell, those measurables, they weren't lies. I mean, why didn't Jamarcus Russell make it? Why didn't Leaf make it? It was work ethic, right? It wasn't the fast twitch fibers in their thighs. They were physically able to make it. So the minute, if you have a quarterback who is at best average physically and you have a quarterback and then his work ethic's a question, I'm not sure if that quarterback, and again, I don't know enough about the NFL drafting process to say this, but on the surface, I would say he. I don't draft him in the seventh round. I guess maybe if I could think I could trade him, but is there six or seven rounds in the draft? Seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like going to the old yeah. NBA. I wouldn't draft him in the fifteenth round. Well, there's only two now. Well, there used to be twelve in in the NFL. I think. There was. There was twelve. How about the best bet that was on the board? The over under six and a half pick for Mayfield. I have not checked the update. There's no way in hell that doesn't have a massive minus on the over. But I was hearing someone say that the Jets are taking them. I read that as well. I read Charles Robinson today who said there is no team that's sending clear signals that they're taking a player. They're matched up with a team stronger than the Jets to Mayfield or Mayfield to the Jets. But in a way, if they're not sending signals, it might be a sign that, you know, team at, whichever team is taking them, right? Because usually those signals are false. Well, next Thursday... Well, no, we'll know actually when we're taping, we'll be taping right after the first round next Thursday. Okay. So to finish on, well, I think we're finished. I, this story has me more skeptical, skeptical of Mayfield. Now, Joel Klatt, who's going to be our hottest take of the week here in a few minutes. He loves Mayfield. Or at least he's defending him greatly with Colin, um, kind of making Colin the old man, you know, get off my lawn. So it's not like everyone, you know, there's people on both sides of this debate. Okay, before the hottest take of the week, we got our weekly dose of Kaepernick. <laughs> Something you, you don't sound happy about it. You're well, like, it's always Here we go again. It's like eating broccoli, right? You know, you got to, but I don't love it. Chocolate. You ever dip chocolate in broccoli? I've never done it. Me either, but sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have. My wife is like so much fitter than me, like in an insane to an insane degree. She's like, she could run a marathon, you know, wake up and say, Hey, let's just run a, you know, someone wants to run a marathon. Okay. I'll be there in a half hour. And I'm not, let's say that I was, I'll just say not that I could come over the top and say clearly, but I won't. <laughs> no, it's not that. That, you know, let's just say, I'm, I, I think I'm probably in, I would say, the six, for my A at 47, I'm probably in this, I'd say the 55th percentile. So, hey, if you're above average, it's not so bad. Yeah, I can't run 26 feet. <laughs> but is <laughs> <laughs> she gets on me. I have a brilliant idea, I think, and I'm going to call it brilliant myself. Imagine if you would eat for every like five bites of something you hated, you would eat one bite of something you loved. So you have two choices. Choice number one is what most people do is they don't really eat a lot of vegetables, but they stay away from the really bad things. Now, obviously, there's some people who eat a lot of vegetables. Some people eat a lot of really bad things. But for someone middle-aged who's trying a little bit to eat healthy, 
right? They're not eating cheesecake at lunch usually, right? But they're also not eating a ton of vegetables, which is kind of the key. Wouldn't it be better if someone, let's say you had five bites of broccoli, and after that fifth bite, you took a bite of whatever, mac and cheese, right? Because that's creamy and obviously high calorie. So my example was always, I'm not huge. I like fruit, but I would never love bananas, is I would eat a little mini Snickers with a banana. So I take like a little nibble on the Snickers, right? Because those little mini ones, you only had maybe five small bites if you really were small. So one bite and then a big bite from the banana. Chew it together. So it mixed in your mouth almost like a Sunday kind of effect, right? Then a big swig of water, which is also healthy. Then a little nibble on the Snickers and a big bite of the banana. Now, would I have been better off not having the banana and not having the Snickers and having like a bowl of minestrone soup? Uh-huh. I feel like you're overthinking life. How'd you come oh, well, up with that? That, you, is super, that is super creative. <laughs> I saw your tweet the other day about uh, finally positive feedback about eating pasta. I was like, oh my God, I'm in. Well, that, <laughs> that's very important, right? Because if pasta is bad, then I'm in trouble. Pasta and beer every day. There are studies that say you got to do it. Well, listen. Well, yeah, remember the people with the wine, right? It is a one glass of red wine a day. They love that one. Guys, I want to hear your thoughts. RJ will directly, I will hear them directly, send them on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. About the banana and Snickers diet. Just hashtag banana Snickers. Please come in with that because this is the second straight week I gave you a terrible answer. Because last week uh, I gave you uh, nothing on the, uh, what was it, the highest level chick I'd been with. There was some whole thing you were setting up, and then I thought about it afterwards because I gave you no answer, and I'm like, you know what? I have never thought that I've gone out with anyone who was better than me. Well, then that that, that that's sad, actually. No, it's not. That's the time you get most excited is that's, when you feel like you've got to aspire to something. That's being ultra confident, and I'm not a looker. Or, or, I, or delusional. Delusional, too. <laughs> I've walked around for an entire life and never thought that anyone was truly better than me. That's fine. I'm well, talking listen, men or women. Show, Show me some next week. Show me some pictures of the axes, and that's, I'll I'll probably dissuade you of your perception. But that's not the that's not what it's about. I've never I'm never in a position where I look up to someone and go, "Oh my god, that person is so much better than me." That's a good thing. Well, right now, no, come on. <laughs> in some departments, yes, and others, no. It all evens out. <laughs> hey, I, to me, if you I I think if you have that attitude doing radio, it makes it tough to do radio. You can't fight back. You can't get in the pit and scrap. Oh, okay. You're trying to give Fezzik a bunch of confidence. <laughs> you're on the breaks of the national show. You're always like, come on, Fezzik, come back at him. He's like, well, he's right. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> and I, I felt, I, I thought I was kind of piling on last week. <laughs> oh, gee, you just tell him the truth and it's piled on. All right. Yeah. Speaking of thinking no one's bad. No, I don't know. Whitlock does seem to have a lot of attitude, but in a good way, look, he look. I mean, he's a heavy set guy, and he's on TV every day. It's hard to complain. I Uber guess. confident. Here we go. Another case of the the man keeping Kaepernick down. I'm still listen. If you're right, Cofield, that you've never been with a girl better than you, then I feel very bad for you. <laughs> Here he is. I'm a solid four. <laughs> a Vegas four or a Cleveland? That's a, New, four. that's a New Jersey four and a Vegas one and a half. All right. Here he is. Whitlock. Yeah, when you sue your employer and then depose the guy they're paying $45, $50 million a year to run the league, you're saying to everybody, 
I don't want to play football. I want to fight the NFL. And so the NFL pays quarterbacks from, I guess, one million to low to 20 some odd million. Those are a great high paying job. So I think he's got a point here. This is in no way, let's be very clear. Obviously, we're not afraid to offend, but there's no reason to offend without a purpose. This is nothing about how righteous this pursuit is. We can all debate that, and there's a whole spectrum of positions. This is not about, hey, maybe he should sacrifice his career for the. The question is, if you're a GM and you see him, Kaepernick, suing, is that a legitimate cue, a message that the act of doing this means you're not looking to get along and again, I'll tell you this right now. If I was in a situation I thought I had a, an awesome opportunity and I felt like, you know, let's use Fox National Radio. We are the first, you know, our straight out of Vegas show. Straight out of Vegas, Fridays at 11 p.m. to midnight. Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. The first national show on one of the three major sports networks, Fox, ESPN, CBS, ever with Las Vegas odds and predictions. It's a heck of an opportunity. Cofield co-host with me does a great job most of the time and <laughs> if somehow I felt like I was wrong by someone at Fox which I've never have but let's say I did and I felt like I had a lawsuit over it and maybe that I would do a simple calculation in my mind how what is the perceived value my perception of the Fox national show how long we're gonna have it what it means each month we have it versus what could I get out of the lawsuit? And assuming I thought it was righteous, if I didn't think I was righteous, I wouldn't do it at all. But OK. And I would if, if I thought like the value of the lawsuit was less than the relationship, I wouldn't even consider suing. Now, if there was some super righteous thing where it's a principle and other people are going to be hurt because of it, if I don't do it, that's a different calculation. But I'll tell you this. Regardless of that calculation, if you're a GM in the NFL and you see it seems like getting a job is not the only thing you care about, getting a quarterback job, when with most other quarterbacks it is, I don't mean the only thing that you don't care about your kids, but you're going to let something get in the way of that that shouldn't, at least the GMs think so, that's going to cause me to downgrade Kaepernick. Thoughts? I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Is that not, what you would do? Yes, it's not sending a great message. I wouldn't say it publicly because that would well, probably yeah. probably hurt this, probably help Kaepernick's case uh, against the NFL. But yeah, I think he's sending a clear message that he's sort of bought in to playing again, but not completely. And once he lands, I mean, we already saw the story last week in Seattle. Uh, we don't know if he outright said, "Hey, I'm going to take a knee," but he couldn't come up with a game plan. I'm actually, I'm, I'm to the. I think Kaepernick needs to make a decision soon on what he's going to do because I actually would like to. I don't think he's gone full bore into the other stuff yet. I think he's he's actually holding himself back on the social front for the chances that well, that he could play in the NFL, and I think he just he needs to come up with a a decision here. Is he going to play in the NFL or not? And at that point, then start going out and being a super visible activist. But every month that goes by, every week, whatever that he still is perceived to be a viable NFL quarterback bolsters his case because it's another week or month that he's not being picked to be a quarterback. The minute he says, I'm retired, all of a sudden now there's no clock on, well, another year that Kaepernick's not being 
right. given a chance. So, well, he certainly can't do it before the case is resolved. Last thing on this. Could this be that Kaepernick realizes that either through some combination and who knows what the percentages are of I am getting blackballed and I know I was barely an NFL quarterback my last year and now it's been X amount of time and that time keeps taking and he knows he's not working. I don't know how he's working out, but I don't I don't hear any reports. He's killing it in the gym. Doesn't mean it's not happening. Right. Is maybe he realizes if he does this, it will make it look like he's being blackballed even more. And it's not an indictment of him as a player. It's it's like so the people would say they got a bad SAT score and they say, well, I didn't sleep for three nights and I drank a fifth of Jim Beam the night before. Like you always hear that. Is this Kaepernick setting up an excuse? Not that, that his, his abilities as a player isn't what's dictating this. Does he need one? Do you well, think I think a lot of Do people don't believe. Well, who wouldn't? I mean, I think that's a natural ego. I think a normal NFL player wouldn't want to think, you know, he'd much rather make it about, and if anything, maybe he's baiting. Maybe this stuff is kind of baiting for the bigger picture. The lawsuit is stage one. Stage two is that activism. And if it looks like, hey, they were blackballing me for this and that, then once I started suing him, they blackballed me even more. Right. I mean, who knows? But he's supposed, you know, I've never spoken to him, but by all accounts, he's, you know, not a, an intelligent person. Right. So yeah, 38 on the wonder look 38. Is that right? Yeah. And by, and by the way, I want to see the Mets sign him to play baseball like Tebow. Cause he's actually, he may be a better baseball prospect than Tebow was hmm. through mid 90 or probably low nineties in high school was actually a good pitching prospect. Except to be the office, right? Tebow, they wanted for the publicity. That was my point. I was being incredibly <laughs> sarcastic. I don't think the Mets are fired up to sell tickets with Cap in all those small markets around the country. Big news, Cofield. We're shifting in a moment to our hottest take of the week. For the first time, don't bet on it, is getting traction, baby. We've got a sponsor. We've got a sponsor. Do you snore, Cofield? Oh, horribly. All Sleep right. in separate rooms often. Really? Killing the SO. Yep, the significant other. Yep, killing her. Huh. She's a light sleeper, and I'm a freight train. Then this is for you. Z-Paw. You ever hear of Z-Paw? Yeah, sure. Z-Paw. Z-Paw? Is that yeah. how you say? I say Z-Paw. I'd go Z-Paw. All right. Happy Z's. But I like to do things a little unique. Z-Paw. All right, we'll do Z-Paw then. I guess that's the starting point of sound, is knowing how to pronounce it. But... <laughs> I don't think they put that in the books necessarily, but okay. <laughs> but isn't it, but wouldn't it be cool if it's like, yeah, but RJ calls it Z-Paw, you know, and then it starts catching on. It's a whole second line of sales. Sure. People call <laughs> or, or how about this? Let's try this. I, I'm being serious. Yeah. Is every time I say Z-Paw, you say it correctly right behind me. All I right. can handle that. All right. Let's try it. So this is an ad for Z-Paw. Z-Paw. Exactly. Let's do that. This is going to work. <laughs> All right. Now, what is it? It's about, you want to do this? Because it seems like you know more. Have you tried any of these? I have not, but I've heard uh, others pitching it. All right. So you go to www.zpaw.com. Zipa. And it's spelled Z-Y-P-P-A-H. Zipa. Zipa. And... <laughs> I love this. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is great. I should have a draw for this. This would be great. Okay. Continuing on though. 
So here's the theory is you put this baby over your face, you sleep and you don't snore. So one now how you've been with a significant other an extended period, how seven years, seven years. Now let's be honest. You've heard of the seven year itch. I'm sure is, do you think not being in the same bed is helping things? Oh, I don't know about that. I, when I woke up, I was all groggy this morning, and she did say, well, I'm leaving. Speak. <laughs> and, I was, and, I, and I went right back to sleep, and then I woke up like four hours later. I'm like, did she just tell me she's leaving? So after this podcast tonight, I have no idea if she's going to be there. Like leaving like you're, she's leaving you after seven years or was leaving I, for work? I think she just meant she was leaving for the day, but the way she <laughs> Who said knows? it, I was like, well, and yeah. went back to snoring. Let's be honest, <laughs> is right now you're somehow your ego or whatever is costing you love. So for those out there, and let's be candid, we know we have a lot of listeners that are single. <laughs> we understand that. Because <laughs> sports betting in general, it's not conducive to great relationships. But we also know we have a lot that have a partner, significant other. Don't let your ego get in the way of love. With Zipa, Zipa. you can not only not snore, allow those night, and again, even if they're still sleeping with you, who wants, listen, we all associate, we're conditioned to associate emotions with things, right? We hear the ice cream truck and we think, oh, it's summertime. I'm a kid, right? Most people, you smell a certain smell and you think, oh, that's, you know, I'm at the airport because of the cinnamon bun or whatever. Whatever it is, those are the deep root. Do you really want your significant other associating bad with being irritated at your snoring? Right now, in addition to that, if you are a sports batter, you don't want your brain dying. Your brain cells, they're they're finite. You don't regrow brain cells, Cofield. I'm sure you know, but you don't is if you have apnea and you're not breathing right, it hurts the oxygen to your brain. It also hurts your heart. Now, so you're losing love, you're losing heart strength, and you're losing brain cells. But with Zipa. I think you said it correctly that time. I think correct. <laughs> oh wait, with Zipa, <laughs> Zipa, you avoid all that. So, guys, here's the thing: we've got a promo code. It's Dream, right? Because we have the Dream Preview Podcast, Dream, and you use that. And with Zipa, you get Zipa free shipping. And they've got all kind of great deals where it's guaranteed money back. But it really is about not snoring and all those benefits. So you go to I'm going to do it right Zipa dot com. And that's Z-Y-P-P-A-H dot com, Z-Y-P-P-A-H. And use Dream. One, it supports the podcast, keeps it free. And number two, gives you free shipping. Time for the hottest take of the week. Now. Colin Cowherd, and we talked about it, had Josh Allen moved up to be number one on his draft board. That's from, uh, you like that, don't you? I liked it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. That's actually from Rain Man when he's counting cards and then had the roulette wheel. So I like it felt Beverly Hills copish. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Now, we speculated last week that. Collins, well, we know he's connected in somehow with Darnold, the family, whatever. And he seems to be an advocate of Darnold, like I've never seen, like adamant advocate. And then 
Last week, he switched and made Josh Allen the number one pick. That tells me he knows something. Now, if we look at the odds, Josh Allen is the second favorite to be the number one pick, but Darnold is still the clear favorite. So this week, Colin kept Allen number one. And to me, that's a sign he knows something. I'm not sure, but I think so. And I think you tend to agree with me on that, right, Cofield? I do agree. I don't think he would make the switch from Darnold. He, he started talking Darnold as the guaranteed one pick four games into the USC season in the fall. So why? It's not like he's hedging. Hedging now won't give him a win either way. Because if it is Allen, you, they're still going to be giving him heat about you know being wrong about Darnold. So you kind of got to stick it out, you would think. This tells me potentially has inside info on it. I'm not sure, but that's my gut feeling. So now the conversation about Allen this week with Joel Klatt, the voice of college football for Fox. And boy, oh boy, his take on uh, Klatt's take on Allen compared to Lamar Jackson, hottest take of the week. I think this is a lot of sourcing and, and less evaluation because on the field, there's really not an argument for Josh Allen uh, to be taken over Sam Donald or even Baker Mayfield for that matter, or Josh Rosen. There is a history with the quote unquote decision maker in Cleveland where John Dorsey takes the strong arm potential quarterback. And so when you look at the mock drafts that, that are more sourced than they are evaluation, you see Allen at the top, which candidly is problematic when you take the evaluation in, into consideration because I, I happen to think that Josh Allen is a pretty clear fourth of the top four quarterbacks. If you're going to be the number one overall pick, don't you think you should at least be all-conference? He was honorable mention all-conference in the Mountain West. It's problematic. I think that this guy, I would take Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen. If I was in the room, I would take Lamar Jackson before Josh Allen. Hot, 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 hot. Too hot. What do you think, Cofield? One, the the Mountain West All Conference that that justifies being one or fourth. Come on, I love Clat. I don't. I, I like him in too. general. This I like just him seems... too. I don't understand why he's pushing so hard. Uh, you know, back so hard on the NFL loves the measurables. I've thought this all along that Josh Allen was going to blow away people when they see him. You know, in the shorts with the muscles at six five and two thirty five, and then he scores. Love the Wonderlick. 37 on the Wonderlick. When do we start grading guys who play at a smaller level and just crossing them off because they didn't have amazing numbers? Was Carson Wentz some slam dunk coming out of FCS? No. no. I mean, the Browns certainly didn't think so. Right? I don't I don't get it. Well, listen, let's get to the semantics. What he's saying about evaluation versus sourcing. Sourcing being like, I hear they're going to take him. He seemingly is miss or confused about what a mock draft is versus what a big board is, right? So Kuiper will do a big board, and that's saying, here's who I think is the best player, the second best, the third best, the fourth best. Imagine a situation where the team announces, let's say the Browns announce, we're going to take Josh Allen. And imagine the next mock draft, someone has Sam Darnold on there. It'd be like, well, I think he's the best. That's not what this is. This is you predicting what the other team's going to do, not what you would do if you were every team on the board. That's what a big board is, right? Well, I guess that's not even what a big board is. That'd be some other hybrid, which is based on need and based on the big board. If I were the GM, who would I take at one? Who would I take it to? 
That's some third thing. But this is trying to predict the freaking draft. Why in the world would your evaluation have anything to do with that? Right? It makes no sense. And actually, the more I think about it, uh, Josh Allen makes a lot of sense to the Browns because you and I have gone back and forth on what and who Tyrod Taylor is. To me, Tyrod Taylor is a two-year quarterback for the Browns, and that's perfect for Josh Allen. He will not be ready to play. So if he is a project. He will not be ready to play in year one. And listen, I don't talk to a ton of college football coaches. I get some access to the UNLV football coach uh, here in Las Vegas, Tony Sanchez, who got to go against Josh Allen, and he raved about him. He said the guy is massive. He makes throws that blow you away, and he can make NFL-level throws. And I'm not sure the other guys can make all of those throws. This is an upside ceiling pick. This is an example of closing the circle on what we talked about with the Patriots. And if you think back, and I'm sure you're going to guess what I'm going to say here, to taking three, <laughs> taking three, right? Liam Neeson, or is that how you say his last name? Yes, yes, correct. I was thinking about the guy from the Naked Guns. Leslie Nielsen. Oh, okay. With the white yeah. hair, yeah. Bobby Kremens. Oh, like. he was funny. Yeah. <laughs> I love those naked guys. Enrico Palazzo, <laughs> the umpire. Don't call me Shirley. All right. So in that movie, and I, I'm a big fan of the uh, the guy who played, I'm having the metal block. He was in The Last King of Scotland. He's the guy with the eye, the, the droopy guy, eye. The, the guy with the eye. Who? He, he was in The Color of Money, and he was in The Last King of Scotland. Uh Ah, I can't. I got you. Anyway. Yeah. I'll look it up as we're talking. He was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Exactly. He was the, exactly. (laughs) Drove the Trans Am. (laughs) (laughs) That was the lock of the year after they messed up his Trans Am with Spicoli is there was a scene at the very end of Taken 3 where uh, Nielsen goes, what is your objective? And he says, the objective is to catch the bad guy. He goes, okay, my objective is to get my daughter. And that is military. And again, I'm not, I've read a few books on, you know, the, you know, SEAL teams and how they think about things. But in the military in general, Peter Drucker, a guy, one of the great business writers of all time, was from the World War II generation. Almost half of his examples about business were all the military. Because if you think about the success of an organization, the U.S. military, obviously been extremely successful is that idea of you always got to have a primary objective because when you make decisions, you can't make decisions unless you know what the number one goal is in a business and life and whatever Patriots. Number one goal winning, right? So if you're not good enough, you're gone. No hard feelings or you don't agree with the objective. Here's my question to you. What is the Browns objective? I'm going to give you two examples. One is they could have a 100% chance at the 20th best quarterback in the NFL, meaning by year two, this quarterback is the 20th best, so slightly below average, but right there, but better than 12, right? And that's a guarantee. Or a one-third chance, only one in three, of a top five quarterback. What do the Browns take? One in three. Are you, I'm not sure they do. I think that's what they should do. Right. Do you agree that's what they should do? Of course they should, yes. Because you can all... You can grab the top 20 quarterback any year in free agency. Yeah, well... Close to it. Yeah, or if you... You certainly you, could this year. John Elway paid $16 million for the top 20 quarterback. So the 20th quarterback. So to me, I almost think all these discussions about these quarterbacks, it should all be about upside. I get the percentage chance of upside is very... If it's a 10 to 1 shot, 
maybe you take him in the sixth round, right? You see that a lot. These lumbering big six, seven guys get taken late and they rarely make it, right? But it strikes me all this talk about, oh, he has the most bust potential. Perhaps, but is that even a factor? Isn't the more important factor is what's his chance of being elite? Yes. Ceiling, 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 ceiling. What is the ceiling? Last question on this is, do you think Joel Klatt would take a a job as head of player personnel for the Browns? Meaning, what's the better job? I know like a Mike Lombardi would much rather be head of player personnel than be on you know, one of the, the pregame shows because he loves coaching. Loves- I guess it depends on what so Platt's you- goals are. If he has to live in a certain place, some, you know, family concerns. What's his ultimate goal? What do you think a guy like, I don't know if it's public. What do you think a guy like Platt makes? I mean, I, I, I doubt it's my gut feeling is it's between what? One, 1. 1.5. I would guess. I didn't even think it was that high. I figured between 500 and a million. Oh, it's gotta be more. I mean, you might be right. I mean, he's he's one of the uh, he's the, one of the main voices for Fox, and they've got a gigantic college football package. You looking that up? All right, so we'll find that out. And again, maybe it's not public knowledge. And, and so, you, if he's making a million, million and a half, or I mean, what's the upside of being a GM then? Well, first of all, I think GMs make more than that. The okay. question is, but he's got to start out doing personnel. Yeah, had a, you know, but had a player personnel is something that a guy who's talking with such authority mm-hmm. on this. Uh, you would think he thinks he could be head of player personnel. You know, you got to wonder if he genuinely believes that. And then if so, why hasn't anyone hired him? But again, I'm not even sure that's the better job, right? If you just look at it financially, I would think for sure it wouldn't be the better job when it comes to work, meaning you're probably working a lot more if, if, if that's a negative, right? Also more security. Although if he went and became a personnel guy, he could get a job back as a broadcaster pretty much instantly. So he wouldn't be really taking a risk of losing his broadcast career. It looks like there's, it's not Google and not helping us with this one. Speaking of authorities on TV. So can, I, can I just put you on the spot here? Oh, if absolutely. he's a personnel guy and he actually has to make a decision between Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, you think he takes Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen? Well, that's a good question because it gets no. And here's why <laughs> it's the old, you never get fired for buying IBM, which is getting to be an old saying. But back in the day, even if someone else was 30% cheaper and objectively they did the same thing with a mainframe, circa 78, they would buy IBM if they had the money because your boss can never blame you. But now something goes wrong, right? And you don't have, why didn't you buy IBM? You're gone. So in general, and it's kind of funny with this whole 30% thing, Right, where's Andy Dalton right now in in the Cofield rank of quarterbacks? Fifteen, sixteen, right around twenty. Fifteen, sixteen, maybe close to twenty. Yes, yeah, close to twenty. Certainly not top ten. Do do you get fired for Andy Dalton? No, but, but you do get fired for Jamarcus Russell. Yes. So in a weird way, even though if the objective is winning, yeah. They've set up a system where the owner's going to, and we saw it with the process, the ultimate case. Hanky doesn't have a job. The guy that engineered, architected, mm-hmm. if that's right, the <laughs> process is out of a job. <laughs> so what is optimal and what helps you keep your job? And really, the GM, if he really answered, his objective would probably be keeping his job. Hmm. Two factoids real quick. Joel Klatt, 
Sold a $1.7 million home. I don't know what this says. It was in Manhattan Beach, so he's got to be making a pretty penny, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll ask you, would you draft Charles Jefferson from Ridgemont High over Bradley Chubb? Forrest Whitaker was his name. <laughs> I said was his name, is his name. He's still alive. Not, um, not the guy with the eye. I'm taking Chubb. Like, I'm taking <laughs> Chubb. I, think, I don't think Forrest Whitaker I, can play football. Yeah. I don't know if he could play back then. I certainly know he can't play now. I mean, I don't know how tall he was, but he... He didn't. He wasn't. He didn't strike that much of an athletic gate, even back in fast times. He's a big guy. He's like six three, but he's not real put together. He's not all shredded up. I'll tell you this: about eighteen months ago, it wasn't further back than that. I saw Fast Times on a revival on the big screen. It's awesome. Who is it funny? I mean, there's the one scene where Spic- where they're in the uh, autopsy or whatever, and Spicoli's in the front row. And he pulls out like the heart and Spicoli's eyes light up and he says, gnarly, like in the best voice I've ever seen. I laugh so hard. Classic movie. <laughs> and a lot of those old ones, even Animal House, I know a lot of people are going to hate this, but I have trouble watching that. I mean, there's certain scenes I like, but a lot of those late 70s, early 80s comedies don't hold up. What certainly does is Caddyshack. Yeah. I mean, that's not even the question. Hey, Lama. Hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort? <laughs> cannonball it. And then one more of these right on top of it. Cannonball. Cannonball coming. Cannonball coming. That holds up. Animal House? Not so sure. Give me a Phoebe Cates nude scene now. I'm in. And oh. she's 55? 55. Oh, now? Yeah. Why not? See how she's aged. <laughs> Like you say all the time, I'm pushing 50. She's not out of my range. <laughs> well, this goes back to my confidence. So you're room. saying no way. So if Phoebe Cates isn't out of your range. This goes back to my, this is one of my theories that as you get older, you actually have a shot at some of the people who were impossible to get a hold of back then. But what's the point? Like, you're still getting it. <laughs> so what if she's aged a little bit? I think we think differently. Hey, give me a run at Susan Sarandon now. Let's go. And she's 70. That's Steve Cofield. Yeah. I. R.J. Bell. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You make it clear. Talking about the great one, R.J. Bell. And then the guy who's uh, waxing poetic about guilt. (laughs) Grandma's. What is that? Ooh, I've never even heard of that. Ouch. Okay, moving on. (laughs) The host prerogative. (laughs) Mel Kuyper, Jimmy Clausen. We reference this a time or two. So here's a quote. It's making the rounds. If Jimmy Clausen is not a successful quarterback in the NFL, I'm done. That's it. I'm out. The person talking to him said, quote, how long do we get to find out? Kuiper, I won eight years. This is the eighth year. So what's going to, you think they're going to talk about it on the broadcast? Yeah, they might mention it on the broadcast. I wanted to ask you a serious question about this. Should ESPN push him on this? Now, I'm not saying push him out, but like if he doesn't want to talk about it, does it take away from their legitimacy at all that the guy's making bets and claims on the air and you're not going to call him on the carpet after eight years? I'm not saying they have to fire him. Yeah. But I think it's an issue you should talk about. Like, hey, man, you're the one. You made a guarantee. You don't get to live this down. Well, he's an asset for them, right? So they're going to do whatever is best for that asset. My thought is they have to do something. So I think they do something funny. Yeah. You know, there's some interesting um, videos on persuasion and specifically with Donald Trump. And if you just search for Donald Trump master persuader, and one of the things they talk about the most, they said one of the most important 
moments of him becoming president was the first Fox debate when Megyn Kelly asked the first question to Trump. And she talked about calling women fat pigs and whatever. And that quotes or that clip's been around a hundred thousand times. And they say that, and I never understood this before that the only way Trump could have handled that and stay on brand, because if he would have just apologized a bunch, it would have been off brand. Now we could all say that, you know, some people might think that'd been better, but you know, it would have been off brand is the joke. If a master persuader, if you try to back them against the wall and they're in a losing situation, they're going to try to change the emotional tenor. And when he said only Rosie O'Donnell and everyone's like, like Megan Kelly's trying to keep a straight face, but they shot the crowd. People are rolling, you know, laughing. And then it really wasn't at that point. The emotional tension was broken. If ESPN smart and obviously in some ways they are. They do this in a really funny way. I agree. Self-deprecation right? so, always works. And 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 it, it takes away the seriousness of it, but they, they can't say that they got, you know, what's, what's the alternative is ignore it, right. which means more people talk about it or have them look in the eye and goes, you know, I'm imperfect. And, you know, that's not going to work. <laughs> Over an NFL draft prediction. Yeah. So relax. I'm not asking for that. Mistakes were made. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Vegas Golden Knights. You're here 15 hours. You told me today, like in the last week. All right, so 15 hours the last five shows. You do three hours a day right here on the ESPN station. How many hours in the last 15 have you talked about the hockey team? At least five, maybe pushing seven. And I'm not a Almost guy. half the time. Yeah. It's, a, it's a gigantic local story. You got to cover it. So give us, give us the 90 seconds, the best 90 seconds. What's going on? What's important? And we're talking an expansion team here that had an over-under of 68 and a half points. They eclipsed 100. They were 500 to 1. Opening odds to win the Stanley Cup. So I now, saw 251. You saw 500. There were 500 to ones out Ooh. there. They just swept the LA Kings, a two-time champion from back in 2012 and 2014. Still with a core of really good players. Swept them. Allowed three goals in four games. They're the third expansion team in the history of all the major sports to pull off a sweep in their first year in the playoffs. And it's an amazing story. And now they are the odds-on favorite to win. Now we could go deep dive on why they're the odds on favorite, but they are now four to one or four and a half to one to win the Stanley Cup. They had no players. You know, if you're going back 14 months, no players. Now they're the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. It's nuts. PTI was talking about this. They speculated that the amount of picks, the the way they got the picks was the cause, meaning in hindsight. It was too generous to the Golden Knights for an expansion team. Do you think that's what it was, or was it they just made the most of those? Obviously, to some degree, they made the most of the picks. It's a combination. So the the pre, if I'm correct on this, the previous expansion draft, and we're going back like 14, 15 years now, teams are allowed to protect 12 or 13 players. This time, they maxed out at eight. So there were a lot of players. So available. in theory, they didn't get one player that the team thought was one of their top eight players. The, well, no, the no, other that's, not, that's not correct because there were there were money. Uh, there were guys who made money who were exposed. So James Neal was a good player, but was making money and will make money because he's a free agent to be. And Mark Andre Fleury but, was, but, but, but okay, makes money. So they, they some organizations chose to expose some of their higher price players, but they valued them less, right? Because of their contracts. The situation. Penguins had a good backup goalie who actually kind of took over last year in Murray. Okay, so that's why Fleury was available. Now, this isn't a betting show, and if you, though we do take the Vegas perspective, obviously, we tell you what not to bet on these hot takes, but we will quickly explain the fact the Golden Knights are the favorite doesn't mean they have the best chance to win. 
it means the Vegas doesn't want Golden Knights action right now because they're so lopsided. And here's the absolute fact. If the Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup, it will be the biggest loss in the history of Las Vegas when it comes to NHL betting. That's I haven't heard anyone say otherwise. So books can have specific exposure. Everyone's exposed. And we're not talking about shutting down, obviously, but it will be the biggest NHL loss ever. So what are they doing? They're saying, no, Moss, we don't want any more Golden Knights. To me, and I was on with JT the Brick and Looney on Fox National, our colleagues and longtime friends. And I mean, you, I, I mean, you talk about Looney behind his back, but you like him, right? I love Looney. <laughs> nah, you don't talk about that. So just a little, but <laughs> <laughs> just a little, <laughs> you know, just in that. Yeah. But no, oh, I actually saw someone pay a smart ass compliment to Looney saying that he's the nicest narcissist that person knows. I thought that was me. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> you know, what's funny is we, we knew each other a little bit, but not very well. This has been like four years ago. And I just was meeting Looney and he was so drunk at JT's party. Remember yeah, like 14, like 14 beers yeah. type drinking. It's driving me nuts and, that night. And he's like, I got to get back to the MGM. And I'm driving across town. I'm like, I'll take him. And you're just laughing, thinking, yeah. oh, what a ride you're going to have. Yeah. <laughs> Looney can talk, man. <laughs> well, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. Oh, though. he's a and great he, broadcast. He's actually super down to earth for how, you know, what a pro he is. No, I agree. Great. And I love the show. And what I was telling JT and Looney was, I'm not thinking about how exciting it is for Vegas. I'm thinking about, I want to exploit the sports books, desire to mitigate their exposure on the Golden Knights because they're offering before the first seat, before the playoffs, a no bet. And I think the no was minus 1100 at the time. And I thought it was one of the best bets. I didn't bet it, but now I am. If I can find the right number and I'm thinking it should be minus, if I can get a minus 750, right? And maybe I'm being a little bit too ambitious there. I'll make a monster bet on, you know, 750, you know, whatever the number is to win a hundred. Uh, so, I mean, I might even, I'm on the Mayweather. I bet the 15, right, to win three. I mean, that's an interesting question. Do you think yeah. the Golden Knights have a better chance right now? So it's 50. So it was like minus, I think I had minus 500, minus 550. So who has a better chance, McGregor against Mayweather or the Golden Knights to win the title? Or the Stanley Cup? McGregor against Mayweather. This is kind of your whole basketball theory about the seven game series and everything. If if McGregor went in there and landed some kind of haymaker, he could take him out. There's so many layers still to go through for the Golden Knights. Three more series. There are a lot of good teams left now, and they're not they're not the best team on paper. You're not a hockey expert. I'm certainly not. But you talk to guys that really know where. If you were stack ranking these teams, where are the Golden Knights? Probably fourth, fifth, or sixth. Wow. So there are going to be eight teams in the second round. They might be as bad as sixth. I might be wrong, too, though. Yeah. Maybe they are the second or best team. The Predators are an awesome team, and they're in the same conference. So we, I'll, I'll be looking at when that number comes out. But the rationale is the books want to offer a super juicy number because they want to mitigate their exposure. If I bet, you know, if I bet uh, 15,000 to win 2,000 on them not to win the title and somehow they do win the title, well, they are paying out a bunch of money, but their net loss is $15,000 less because of that bet, right? So they want to mitigate right now. We want to exploit that because we don't like bookies. Speaking of not liking bookies, let's give some credit where credit's due. 
because I think it's important that we're not, I don't care if you are always positive about something or always negative, it means you're not thinking. So I want to be positive when appropriate. I felt like a sports book slash casino in this case is doing something really gutsy. Break it down. So station casinos for their loyalty program, their card holders is actually offering. I think it's just coming Monday, the chance to make a free bet at four to one on the golden Knights, but it depends on your level of play. The max you can put down, it's a free bet. The max you'll be, I mean, you're not putting it down, but the max you can get is two fit $250. So you can actually win a thousand dollars. I'm I'm assuming so these they're going to give you a ticket. It says two fifty wins a thousand yep. for free and, and for free. You can and, and the, the lowest level people, you know, the folks like me who go in and score points by getting a buffet. I can get a five dollar ticket that'll pay twenty free, totally free. Now the rationale is they want you one, they want you to feel like rewards are rewarding you. Yeah. Two, they they know they're going to get a bunch of PR off it. They're, we're talking about it, uh, and obviously many others. And three. I think they like you to physically show up. Yep. Like there's always that desire to physically show up because you might get a buffet. You might make a bat. How many people are going to walk in, make the play and then walk right out? Some, but, but again, I almost wouldn't do it out of guilt. Like, Hey, I know you don't think that way, but I'd be like, I got to, let me go get a meal. The casinos are doing fine. I know. (laughs) I know. I just don't, I don't like to get anything for absolute free. I like to contribute to the business a little bit, even though it's a casino. I'll tell you this. My uh, my lady, because she's into hockey now. She's in the Golden Knights. Uh, if I, I'm going to try to hide this from her. If I tell her about it, she'll absolutely want us to go in and get a ticket, so that she has a little bit of rooting interest. And here's the other thing: stations may may not have to pay off the ticket. There may be people who get the ticket and just frame it. So what close listeners have learned about Cofield is he often doesn't sleep with his lady, and he hides things from his lady. So as we continue on each week, we'll learn more and more. So I'm like 75% of the males <laughs> listening right now who are married and I'm not married. <laughs> Last thing. And I think this is the most impressive. <laughs> they are giving themselves the stations, even you know, massively more exposure to the gold Knights winning. You would think, like we said, they're trying to mitigate the, the typical book here. They're saying, bring it on. And wow. That's I'm, a brilliant idea. They're they're a uh, I don't know that their rep is a sports sports book is great locally, but they're a good company, and obviously they're expanding, expanding, expanding. So they bought the Palms and converting that bought over. Bought the Palms, and they're doing a gigantic build out. If you've been up and down the fifteen uh, Palace Station, is sort of a local casino. That's the first one too. That was the first one that Fertitta's. Oh, opened. is that right? Yeah, okay. that was their original spot, and now they're doing a giant build out there. So, so to me, it would be a less impressive. If they were exposed the other way and this helped them mitigate risk, but this right. is dub- more than doubling the risk, I'm sure. So kudos. Don't say I never said I know, Don't say I never here. said something nice. <laughs> Those dastardly bookies. The city he invented was Las Vegas. Time for the rapid fire reactions. Two minute max on each of these, less if possible. Cofield, I'm going to you first, and then I'll counter punch. LeBron James, we got an update. His barber shop lawsuit we talked about against Nick Saban. Now he's getting sued. Thoughts? Uh, well, the, the folks on the LeBron side, sources are saying this is a total pub stunt by this adventure enterprises that's filing the suit, that there's nothing there, that there was no discussion between uninterrupted 
and LeBron and this company. So I'm not sure there's much here, but I know everyone got all thrilled that LeBron was the one who tried to bully Nick Saban a little bit, and maybe he's going to have to pay the price for stealing someone else's idea. And again, we talked about the idea of a, that barbershop being a place to hang out and all that. Uh, it certainly didn't seem fresh, right? So I'm, I, we don't, I don't fully understand in every aspect when IP applies and when it does. And it's a, it's a lot more art than science, but to me, what you got to do is accept that legal arguments are not logical. There's a famous story about Joe Kennedy, uh, the father of JFK, one of the true, you want to talk about OG, OG, right? And Joe Kennedy, <laughs> one time he wanted his taxes reduced. So he had his lawyers go in, in the state of New York and it was in New York city and said, Oh, this property is you know, worth half as much as you think, blah, blah, blah. A year later, they were going to sell the property because it, uh, eminent domain where the city wanted to buy it. And the same lawyers came in and argued it was worth four times as much. <laughs> and you would think, well, wait a minute. But it's like the, the, the law has no perspective like that. Right. And if you try to make sense of it that way, it's foolish. And uh, it can be frustrating because you want the law to make sense, but it often doesn't. Okay, LeBron James and Clay Travis. I can't. I don't even know how to how to tell this story. You can tell. Well, you, you know, you saw the death of uh, Pop's wife, and it was sprung upon. We thought uh, some of the NBA players yesterday, and LeBron James, and talking to Ali LaForce right after the Cavs win. Got kind of emotional. It was a, a cool moment. Hey, this is a normal guy. He's got normal emotions. So Clay Travis put out in the aftermath, hey, here's a video. She actually gave him a heads up like 30 seconds before. I thought Clay was suggesting that LeBron was acting mostly with that emotion, which I don't believe that. I actually think you could be told a minute before and then start talking about a death with someone. Are we and start sure what emotional. he wasn't saying is the the way LeBron communicated during the live interview was like he was just being told. So it's not so much I think that that oh he couldn't have have a sincere emotion thirty seconds later, but rather feigning that he was just being told it. That is the um, I, I guess attempt to deceive, right? right? How do you know it's a fugazi? It's a fake. Yeah, I know what a fugazi is. So, so what it, are your thoughts on that? Well, it, it seems like anytime you you see clearly someone's being disingenuous or deceiving, then you got to wonder when they're not being deceiving. You know, maybe I'll be giving a tip to someone who wants to sell me something one day, but <laughs> when someone tells me something about themselves that is a negative and it doesn't seem all rehearsed, you know, the famous Hillary Clinton line in the 2008 debates was, what's your weakness? She goes, yeah, I just care too much about people. You know, that's, that was her weakness, right? Kind of hard to think that's the weakness. It's when someone really tells you or you're thinking of renting an apartment. Hey, listen, these plans are loud here, right? So you better know that. Now, if he tells me something's good, I'm thinking it's true, right? But if all they say is good, 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 then I'm wondering what where they're lying, right? Because it's never all good. So to me, if I see LeBron like hearing something and then act like like he's acting, then you got to wonder when when else is he acting? Yeah, I'm not real cool though. In a in a moment of grieving where I thought there was some genuine emotion in ripping a guy because he didn't handle the beginning the right way. Because he set it up. Yeah, I think both, think I think both points can be right. Yeah. Assuming, and again, I, I don't have a great feel for it, but, and, and, but assuming he, do you think there was any doubt he was acting as if he was just finding out 
Is that clearly the case or not? I have to watch the video again. Uh, he so, did no. He, and and here's the thing: between the interview, Clay Travis saying, "Hey, there was some acting there," uh, and then there was a video that LeBron put out in you know in his ride back on the interrupted, and he said, "I, I, I want to clear something up here. Uh, people are attacking Allie LaForce like she just." You know, threw it on me with no warning. She did warn me, so he he actually came out and said I was warned. He said it multiple times to defend Allie Laforce. She did the right thing. Hmm. So it's back to did he try to act like he was getting a new? Okay, number two, Anthony Davis. We right here. Hey, we we'll do our strutting around when we're right, right? And then probably half as long we'll accept blame, right? So strutting's two x. <laughs> Hey, we're just human. Just two? You're just human. Well, no. That's it. I was skeptical. He picked it up after Cousins. I'm like, hey, this guy's later in his career. I get, you know, if anything, I felt like it was an indictment that if he could just through effort, through sheer will, play so much better, then why wasn't he playing that well before? But, boy, it's continued. It's continuing the playoffs. Now, I'm still going to kind of reserve a chance. I'm right, as in, are we going to see this next year? Right, we've all had a situation where the guy has the heart attack, quit smoking, he goes to the gym every day, he goes out to lunch with you with his celery sticks and his Tupperware. Usually, a year later, he's not eating celery sticks. Thoughts? That's that's a weird analogy, though. This is and and you're saying we. I argued against you on Anthony Davis. I said he hasn't been pressed to where he has to be the guy in a winning situation. When I say we, I'm t- I was speaking the voice of Vegas. Okay. Okay. You are the voice Not- of Vegas. I just don't want to be rolled into that one. Like, you know, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, but I did say at the time, hey, the guy, yes, he's been in the NBA for like six years. He's just turning 24, 25 years old. He could, you know, raise the, the level. And they're up. They actually, they won today. So they're up 3 nothing now, which is so dynamite because he had, in this game against the... Uh, the Trailblazers, he had 28 and 11. So he's had double doubles in every game. He's averaging now 28, 13 at a couple of blocks. And the great thing, if you saw on social media, people dug up some old tweets. Blazers, uh, CJ McCollum and uh, Lillard were talking a lot of trash in the past about especially a guy like Rondo, who's been outstanding. Outstanding. So now it's coming back to haunt them, these uh, tweets that are five, six years old. Rapid fire number three, a record number of weather slash rainouts in the MLB. This is this is in the Cofield wheelhouse. You can rain against the league. You can rain against greed. I'm just I'm just teeing it up for you. Well where do I go on this one? Because I'm a I'm a weather guy. <laughs> so many places I don't to understand go. why people live in these crap areas. So I what you know they're all tied to their families and stuff and I guess I don't have familial ties that I care about that much. So that's I'm one give you thing. Music. They... And yeah, there's there's a little bit of greed here. There's a little bit of greed. A little how about, bit. How about start off in warm weather cities and plan more doubleheaders during the year and one admission doubleheaders. One admission. Don't freaking make people pay twice. Now the funny thing is, you hear the one admission, think, oh, they're giving up a full game. But in theory, if you're offering, it's like offering two for one at at, at Dillard's, right? Is it's going to in theory, it's going to more than double. The sales, and thus you make the same amount of money. Plus, so, with the risk of the cold weather games, you're getting like four thousand a game anyway. There's no one there. Get get twenty five thousand in crap markets and thirty five plus in good markets for two games. See, the music's getting you there. You were picking right? up. But here's the question: sessions, the parking. Not that you're going to double up on the parking, but a lot more beer sales. Here's the question, though, and it's back to what the objective is. A true vision. And that's why, you know, you look at the Googles of the world and, you know, obviously there's a stuff about privacy and all that now, but 
they were one of the first to say we have super shares and that's we're always going to get to dictate, even though we're a public company, what Google does. And when you have a company that thinks in decades and not quarters, it's a huge advantage. And, and, uh, Bezos, same thing with Amazon. He thinks in decades, not quarters. And most companies are chasing the quarterly on that are public companies. And if you have a, a decade-long view with Major League Baseball or any sport, you're thinking, okay, I don't know. You cut the season down by 10%, so you know 162, so minus 16 games, and I'm just broad-stroking it there is do you lose even 10%? Because in theory, those are the least profitable games, like you said. So let's say you're losing 7%. Is 7% now worth the trend line of the sport? Because a sport can drop 20, 30, 40% if you do the wrong thing. So I don't know if they're doing that kind of analysis, but I'm not even sure if they knew for a fact. Like if you went to them and you could prove beyond any reasonable doubt you taking in that extra 7% now is going to eventually lead to a 15% decrease in 10 years of the baseline year after year from there. I'm not sure the leagues would, or, or the major league baseball or any of these leagues would even do it. Then it's so much like, Hey, I might be dead, right? I need that money yeah. today for the third yacht. There's probably a reality. We're not addressing uh, beyond that. And that is with baseball. They're making so much money from TV and the internet and international that maybe the gate and what they take in at the stadium isn't what it used to be. Isn't as important as it used to be. So then under that theory, the double headers work. It's a good point. Right? Because in theory, I mean, uh, I, baseball, uh, the stations just want those hours eaten up, right? Or ate up, I guess. It's, it's not a matter of the concessions don't matter in that regard. Of course, baseball purists could come back and say doubleheaders suck and uh, they ruin the integrity of the game because you're stretching or, your roster Or forget the doubleheaders. Maybe you just go from 162 to... 154. Yeah. yeah. Or, or less. Okay. Get up. Is that the name of it? Yes. <laughs> I'm very confident. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. But you are a, I think, an amateur media critic. <laughs> you're not Richard Deitch. <laughs> What's your take? Show quality ratings, future... I just don't see anything different. It's beetle hot, you know. I don't so. see anything different than these morning talk shows have done in the past. And I also think the mix is really weird. How so? Uh, because Greeny, Mike Greenberg, is a lead, but I don't think he's as good a lead on TV as Beetle is. So he's taking more of the lead than Beetle is, and she's the better lead. And then. So she, she, that's she, the mechanics of introducing the segments, yep, et cetera. Yep, throwing the questions at so the So, like experts. me being the lead on this show means I'm the better lead, for example. Possibly. But somehow on our Fox National show, you're the lead. Go figure. Hmm. Someone's making a mistake on that one. Whoever's <laughs> making the call. Yeah, I actually, and I, I, Beatles, I, Beatles, a better TV person. She, she did sports nation forever. Uh, here's the other thing. I, to me, Greenberg is still a sports talk host who kind of, I know I'm an amateur and the guy makes zillions more than I do, but I just wonder how the, his 20 year run on sports radio now translates to a, a different and more competitive morphing TV market. I think this is the same thing we saw at night with uh, what was it Overman, right? Is the idea that if you could have like the tonight show and Conan and uh, the CBS show, and then say, okay, we've got 8% of the audience or whatever the percentage is, is going to go watch the ESPN version of the tonight show. 
that was the holy grail. Uh, There's just so much money to be made there. And, and in the mornings, Good Morning America or go over to Get Up, it, it just, for whatever reason, it, it doesn't resonate. Is get, listen, we've, the last five or 10 years, we've developed this whole thing of sort of, not to be insulting, but almost dumbing down the audience by hot take, hot take, hot take, hot take, right? And everything in the morning is a hot take. Now all of a sudden you're like, oh, we're going to think a little more. Like, I don't, I don't know if the audience is ready for it. Here's the other part of this. Mike Greenberg worked on radio because of the chemistry with Golik, right? He could be the smart guy and Golik was the dumb jock and he could mock on him. He doesn't have that anymore, but he's doing the same bit. So now he's trying to mock on Beetle, who's really acerbic, and it's just like, yeah, whatever, bro. Last thing I'll say is, and it was just a one-time thing, but probably five years ago, six years ago, maybe five, is all the Sports Nation guys were in Vegas and Colin was there back when he was on the show. And they had a dinner at the Cosmo I got invited to. There was like 15 people around the table. Jamie Horowitz was there and Beetle and Colin. And boy, oh boy, if you wonder how cool it would be to work for ESPN, the bill was like $3,000. They were ordering $400 bottles of wine. I mean, it was on the ESPN tag tab, and this was before, you know, the layoffs. Let's just say is... I think a lot of people growing up would say, wouldn't it be cool to work as a producer on SportsCenter? At least from the little glimpse I had there, the answer is yes. So you got to take us inside the dinner. Who dominated the convo at the dinner? Who was radio or TV person at dinner? Because yeah. that's one of the things I always find interesting is to watch how people act off the air, if they're quieter or if they have to be radio TV person all the time. But what I would say about Colin is specifically, and this is more from 101, he is almost exactly the same off the air, which to me is he's genuine. Like you're seeing the, his, his good or bad, whatever you think, you're seeing the truth. Um, you know, what, what I noticed was is just how dominant the behind the scenes people are. Not so much in the conversation, but you think about it. And I've said this before on Colin's current show, he has 40 people working there. And you hear, you know, about uh, this person or that person and Sam back in the back. But there's 40 people. They have two bookers, two full time people just to book guests. So uh, as you know, when the, 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 the hosts say things like, well, we've got to thank the support staff. That is very genuine. I would say in general, you can't succeed without a good, you know, talent. But I also, from the little bit I've seen in the behind the scenes of these shows, you can't succeed without good producers and stuff. So men, uh, the menu opens, right? Does Colin look around and he's like, what do I order? Someone's got to help. Someone's got to set me up here. I can't make a decision because the producer. Yeah. Oh, that was that we did. The producer stand up and he's like, "All right, you're getting this." Uh, female producer's like, "Okay, you're getting this." I know you have that third like, glass yep, of wine. Yep, yep. That maybe too me, much. Maybe too much. You know, this is old school, and then we'll move on. But <laughs> one of my favorite shows is Mary Tyler Moore. Now you might say, "Ah, what kind of, it was a it was a you know there was unbelievable." You like Mary? It's great. Mary and the cast. Hey, who could turn the world on with her smile is yep. the question. Yes. One of the greatest scenes in sitcom history is when Ted Baxter gets married <laughs> and Murray writes his writer on air. So Murray's like his best man, or at least he's standing up with Ted. So I think Georgette was the name. I'm just remembering here. So she says like her vows or whatever first and they go, Ted. And, you know, the preacher, whoever's doing it, no shit. Oh, I usually don't do that. No lie is Ted leans back and Murray leans in and starts whispering in his ear. And then Ted starts talking. 
<laughs> but no, it's not like that. Next topic, Triple G. So fight got canceled. We've talked about that with Canelo. Now there's another fight. Take. Not surprising. I hate the six-month suspension. I think it should be longer, but... Longer? Yeah. Boy. Rules are rules. I know you and I have gone back and forth on this. I really believe Canelo was cheating. I think he was coming off of something. I don't buy the tainted meat excuse. And uh, I think he needs to be punished like everyone else for a year because he did nothing to back his cause. He never came to Vegas with proof. Hey, here's where I had the meat. How do you prove that? Got to explain where you got the meat from. If you ate it at home, there's got to be some some chain of evidence. All he did was come across the border, go to San Diego, hide out there, and just assume, hey, I'm Canelo. The fight is going to continue. Now, you, and we talk about this, but it's worth saying, you for years wrote about UFC and boxing for Yahoo, and you are, this is the fight capital of the world for both, so you know a lot of people. Is Canelo's team considered inept? Are are they a um, bumbling-type organization like these mistakes are they surprising but i don't think they viewed it as a mistake the biggest and best fighters the money makers usually get a slap on the wrist they assumed hey t-mobile needs us they're not going to go after our guy uh you know basically it's his home gym now his home arena of course they're gonna let the fight go on aren't you being super hard though what you just said seems contradictory on one hand you're saying typically the super fighters the big money makers get a slap on the wrist in this case, they canceled a super fight, the biggest fight of the year, mm-hmm. and he's going to miss, and I read this at ESPN, what was that, Raphael, the guy's name? Dan Raphael. Ray, yep. Yeah. It looks like Raphael, but it's Raphael. Yeah. So he was saying, hey, listen, this guy's in the middle of his career. He's going to be able to fight once this year instead of twice. This is, you know, even if the second fight obviously wouldn't have made as much as this one, he's losing tens of millions of dollars over this. But other fighters, Seems like we uh, got to give the state some credit. Oh, that it's that it's a harsh enough penalty. That is, even if it's six months, if you're saying you expect, if I would have at, when this story broke, if I would have said over under chance that this fight gets canceled, you would have had the canceling being a big underdog, right? Yes. Okay. So and over under how long is he going to be suspended? I'm thinking six months would have went over. Yes. So give him credit. But that was my original thought. The more I looked into it, the more I heard from people. The the clan excuse, the tainted me thing is nonsense. Last, nope. Next to last topic in rapid fire, Bruno San Martino, the living legend. You talked a little bit about it. Two things I tweeted this at RJ in Vegas is one is I said, hey, wrestling's very different today versus his day. Bruno held the title for 11 plus years, over 4,000 days across two reigns. The first being the longest single reign ever for the WWF, and it was WWF back then, over seven and a half years. Now, when you're a kid, time passes slowly. When I was eight years old, I was a big wrestling fan. Bob Backlund won the title in 78. He didn't lose to, to the Iron Sheik right before Hogan in 83. It was like four and a half years. It felt like Bob Backlund was the champion. I didn't know any other champion, right? Because from the age of, you know, eight, to 13, that's a long time. And I used to root for the Hammer, Valentine, Orndor. I was, I hated Backlund. Howdy, doody. I used to scream at him. And in hindsight, I kind of liked that they had a guy that was a 
I think he went to North Dakota State. He was a you know champ, Division II level champion wrestler. But and when he finally lost, it was like finally. Well, imagine if you were ten years old when Bruno won it, and you would have been graduated high school potentially when he lost it. And they actually said, and I saw the footage just on YouTube when Bruno lost to Ivan Koloff, which was a transitional champion for Pedro Morales, who they had planned, <laughs> is. They didn't give Koloff the belt in the ring because they felt like if they actually did that, there'd be a riot. It was in Madison Square Garden. So he won. He got his hand raised, but they didn't have like a presenting ceremony. Did you it. explain why that was the case? Russian, right? Was well, that the whole but, he, but it was because it was Bruno, right? No oh, one it doesn't okay. matter who would have okay. beat Bruno. I didn't know if it was a Russian thing. Well, probably that too, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And so, you know, now the response was, and I'm guessing some listeners saying, well, wait a minute, it's scripted. Like, who cares? And to me, that's the key takeaway here is if it wasn't scripted, and I said this on Twitter, then Bruno's would be an athletic achievement. And it'd be impressive. But since it is and was scripted, his historic title reign was dictated by the bosses, by Vince McMahon Sr. specifically. And it showed that he was the best at his actual job, entertaining and engaging the fans. To me, that's the objective to keep going with that concept was to sell out Madison Square Garden, et cetera, et cetera. And he did it back because I can promise you the minute they felt even when Bruno lost the title, it was because he didn't want to do as many dates. They wanted him still to be champion. So to be that good at his job, pretty, pretty uh, admirable. Yep, said 82 years old, but had a great career. And like I said earlier in the show. The Zabisco War is one of my favorite things ever in wrestling. Actually got busted wide, got hit by a chair, wooden chair back then, wooden chair, got hit by it three times and you could see him, you know, pull the razor blade out of the shorts and rip his head open and just blood everywhere. And Vince McMahon comes back within a week and is like, we're going to show this, but this is not for anyone with a weak stomach. <laughs> you're like, my God, what a, what great TV drama. You know, for those that really like wrestling, and if you do, you probably have heard of it. But if you're on the periphery, it's something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritt, Bruce Pritchard, who worked for the WWF slash E for, I think, 17 years. And Conrad Thompson, very popular podcast, was the Sports Illustrated podcast of the year last year. Uh, they have like seven, 800,000 listeners a week. And about five weeks ago, they were here at the pregame.com offices. I had both of them. Did a, uh, almost a two-hour interview. And at the end, Conrad said, boy, you got some stuff out of Bruce I never have. So I thought it was quite good if you're interested or if you just want to subscribe, make sure you're not missing any of our pods. Just search RJ Bell, subscribe. It's all in one feed. Every Wednesday, the Dream Preview. Every Friday, Don't Bet On It. And then intermittently, the featured Vegas Truth interviews. Last rapid fire then, finally, Get Off My Lawn from Cofield. Sinead O'Connor over Prince. That's a hot take. Did you hear the Prince release and nothing compares to you? Have I ever heard it? it no, it just got released today. Oh, there really? was a live version that was out there, but the the his estate released it today. I on, didn't I haven't heard it yet. It was trending on Twitter. I went and listened. Sinead over Prince. That's your hot take. In this song. Yes. I agree. You haven't heard it. She's ridiculous in that song. That's great. You're right. But Prince is Prince. Yeah. I was coming in thinking, blow me away. Eh. 
Remember, I'll take the heat at RJ in Vegas. Give it to me, baby. <laughs> I actually had one person say I would unfollow you. Really? Then, yeah, but then they, I think, you know, they went LOLs. So okay. Little emoji. That'd be, Some I mean, sort of listen, weird. why, why hurt yourself? All right. All right, Cofield, rapidly approaching 50. Never, ever, ever, never has been with a girl hotter than him. Get off my lawn. Go. I like regular people. I don't like folks who flaunt their wealth, right? I don't like upper crust kids. I I don't like people who have safety nets. And I got to tell you, something happened last week with one of my co-hosts. I am Elma J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. (laughs) So it's funny you play that. Because actually the co-host I'm going to go after is Fezzik. What? I didn't know this. Unbelievable. I've been thinking about it for five days. In all the five boroughs, I'm known. I'm known all over the f-ing world. You may tell me this is ridiculous. <laughs> I walk in. You know, I'm frugal. <laughs> oh, is that what you call it? I'm frugal. <laughs> I walk in. I've got my uh, barrel of soda that I get from the, the local convenience store. What are they, like 89 cents? Yeah. Right? Big now, ma- now, are they, uh, do you get diet or full sugar? No, full sugar. Diet, diet's poison. So you take like 500 calories of soda. What's the difference? <laughs> You've given up. It's not giving up. The diet's crap. That's you know, worse. It's poisoning your body. All the preservatives and nonsense in there. I don't know what's in the diet. The, the regular sugar go one's really zero. safe. You're safe. <laughs> so I look across, right? I look across and Fezzik walks in. He's got his soda for the night. He's got an Arby's cup. I... Lost it. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, what? It's two nineteen. I'm like, it's eighty nine cents at the convenience store. Think about every dollar thirty this guy is wasting. That mansion and yacht is going to go by. Hey, you, what? What's his base to live that life? What is? What percentage does he have to pick at? Well, the goal for any pro is fifty five. All right. Well, the but, tick- and I tell you, even the best pros don't always hit fifty five. Take it up to fifty seven if you're going to waste a dollar thirty every time you need to go get a Mountain Dew. And nah. his excuse was, he's like, well, I, I like to go use the bathroom. Now he might have. Well, paid. no, you just threw me. I was ready to defend him. He what? Must, yeah. He, he, he figures if he, if a place that he's only paying 79 for the soda, he doesn't want to go to bathroom. Yeah. That actually makes a little sense. If you yeah. have to go I to the bathroom. It actually, it actually did. <laughs> My argument got kind of ruined. I was like, $1.40 to go in a cleaner bathroom, it might be worth it in Vegas. You know what's funny? I am of two minds on this. On one, I love nothing more than a hole in the wall restaurant. Because it feels like you're, you know, I love one, not, I don't like a bunch of pomp and circumstance. It's unnecessary, right? If it's, if it's part of it, that's fine. But there's nothing worse than going to some crappy, fancy restaurant, right? Cause you're going to pay the same amount as going to one of the best restaurants, but, and you got to wait. It takes two hours to eat. I love a quick, you know, there's like a, on Trop here, there's Peruvian chicken. They've got three freaking tables. Usually people get takeout. It's the best. I've had chicken all over the world. Best chicken I've ever had. <laughs> Just so you don't think I'm a hard-hearted man. I've had it on a eh, little godfather. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With his olive oil voice and his guinea charm. So, but I have gotten to the stage at age 47 that I wouldn't mind. Like if I'm going to lunch and the quality of the food's going to be the same. If there's a place that's like six bucks and it's, there's a big hustle and bustle and I'm going to have to get pushed against the wall and then I'm going to have to eat on the hood of my car. Or if it's 15, now obviously at a certain point, but I can sit down and relax. 
I'm spending the 15. That's fine. But that's nine bucks. He's saying he wants to go to restroom in a sanitary condition and he's only spending the extra. But I think not, you got to retract it. No, no, no. But they, but he didn't say that I'm paying the extra for the that's bathroom. Who, he doesn't know prices. That's how highfalutin he is now. Oh. Well, that brings up. Hey, an, Fez, do you know what a loaf of bread is? I don't know. $17. So like George H.W. Bush. Yeah, he, he's, he's clueless. Now, who, uh, we had, uh, what was it? Gates had that happen to him on Ellen. <laughs> Like it was like, hey, so it's Bill Gates and Fazit. Yeah, he's like they they show him. They're like, guess this price. They show a little bag of Totino's pizza rolls, and he's like, twenty one dollars. And they're like, what? It's four dollars. Tide pods come out. He's like, seven? No, dude, twenty two. That's Fezzik now. Just pissing away a dollar forty extra at Arby's. Now there's one last thought for us to end the show with. There's the idea of what's the utility of your time. So I know I'll tell you this and. For those out there who are looking for a little career advice, a little bit of lifetime guidance, life guidance, if you spend more time trying to save money than make money, they've done studies. The people who, now no one that's rich, you know, necessarily coming up wants to waste money typically. Right. But if you think, how much energy am I spending making money and how much am I spending saving money? Usually the millionaires, you know, like the millionaire next door type thing is spending more time thinking about making money. Now, the same thing with The Millionaire Next Door, which is a famous book. They're usually got a car that's two levels below what they could have. They have a house two levels. So they do save money. But with the big purchases, it's not the idea of walking. Like, let me ask you a question. If you can buy grapes for a buck 19 here and two blocks away, there's grapes for 89 cents. Do you walk to get the grapes? I should. Well, From maybe for the standpoint. health side of it. But <laughs> what I'm saying is yeah. there is utility to your time. I'm not that crazy, but the knowing that I get the best soda price makes me happy. That's and the I'm, key. And you so just often, exposed yourself. I'm so often not happy. This is you against the world and the utility isn't there. You know what? The the convenience store that I hit, I've also developed a relationship with <laughs> with the cashiers. I walked in today to get a coffee. And, then that's a and, different type and of the utility. Guy, and a guy walked in. He's like, hey, bro, what's up? And you and I now have a friend. And people aren't friendly to you too often. No, they're not. I only have like four friends. Well, it all goes back to the Zabisco thing. I don't trust anyone because he, uh, you know, double crossed San Martino. So well, I, that, that, I trust that, that that dude at the convenience store is in my top five of friends. I trust him. I got to tell you, this was by far my favorite show. Don't bet on it. So let us know if you like it. And I got to give Cofield credit. He killed it today. What's your Twitter? At Steve Cofield. C-O-F-I-E-L-D is the last name. Guys, it won't be this good because I'm not there, but his Twitter's worth following. <laughs> but by the way, if you can only follow one, it's at RJ in Vegas. Talk to you next week.